Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Noel, first question today, have you ever been to like a weird themed town? You know, some small towns have like their their big specific events, like we're the best funnel cake place, stuff like that. Yeah, there was one time I went to this weird town in uh, the, the seaside of England and they had, everyone was really nice for a while, but then they lured me into this giant wicker contraption and set it on fire and I barely escaped with my life. Does that count? Oh, wait, no, that sure, was the plot yeah, of the movie, The Wicker, the wicker Man. Man. Sorry, that didn't happen to me. Um, no, I don't know, the themed town. Maybe like a Mayfair type situation or like some sort of old-timey recreation thing? Or what are we talking about? Like Helen, Georgia, maybe? Mm, I've been to Helen, Georgia. It looks like a tiny German village. (laughs) It does. And it's it's, uh, well worth the trip if the weather's nice and you're out that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm Ben. There's our super producer, Casey Pegram, and our guest producer, Andrew Howard. When I think of themed towns, I tend to think of some of the same stuff you mentioned, Noel, like a big a holiday celebration right. that people have right. specific to that town. But then it could also just be uh, a theme that they're really into. Like, let's say, I'm just making up an example here. Uh, let's say that several centuries ago, a uh, town was saved by like a little drummer boy. And you go there centuries later and you see all these statues of little drummer boys. And then things are named after this drummer. Like it's Little Drummer Boy Avenue or Little Drummer Boy Lane. Uh Today's episode is kind of uh, in that same vein, but we're knocking out two missions with one stone today because, my friend, I think we are finally back on our state-by-state episode horse. Oh, my goodness. Ben, that's exciting. By the way, I'm Noel. And yeah, I I just wanted to 
point out a few really quick before we hop right into today's theme town. Uh, there are lots of them. It's a thing. Like uh, Pella, sure. Iowa, for example, is all about the Tulip Time Festival. And uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina, is basically a recreation of the Andy Griffith Show with a Mayberry Courthouse you can visit and, and, and all that stuff. And then New Glarus, Wisconsin, is themed after, like, Switzerland. It's sort of like in the same way that Helen is a small German village. Uh, New Glarus is a tiny Swiss village. Ben, do you know about any other weird towns with themes? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, shout out to Lilydale, New York, which is just home to so many psychics. And outsiders go to Lilydale just to hang out with the psychics. And of course, the villages in Florida, uh, no one living there could be under 19. And at least one member of every house has to be over 55. Uh, but perhaps one of the weirdest ones, Noel, is uh, Thamestown, China, which is located in Songjiang. It is a uh, simulated British city with everything. Amazing. Everything you need. Do they have fish and chips? Are they any good? They have fish and chips, okay. yeah. Served in <laughs> newspaper and all that? Well, now, Ben, while all those towns sound amazing, we're not talking about any of those towns today. Just wanted to establish a, uh, a legacy of themed towns. Today's town definitely fits amongst those ranks, but has a much more, shall we say, amphibious theme. Yes, that's correct. If you are driving through a tiny town called Willimantic over in eastern Connecticut, you might notice things are getting a little froggy in more ways than one. There are lots of local businesses that are named after frogs. You'll see frogs on logos. You'll see different statues of frogs in Main Street. And even the uh, local graph heads, uh, graffiti artists, are spraying frogs around on the, uh, the, you know, the local building walls. It's weird because there's a borough of Willimantic called Wyndham. And if you go to Wyndham, you'll see this frog stuff turned up even further. Turn, like if Willimantic Main Street is an eight, Wyndham <laughs> is apparently an 11. That's right. I mean, you literally have uh, the city center featuring a bridge that's, uh, that's surrounded by these columns, um, each of which has an 11-foot-tall frog statue that's sort of gazing off into the middle distance. Uh, so you might ask yourself, why all the frogs? Well, we're here to tell you. The New York Times has a fabulous profile of exactly why all the frogs. In an article from August 25th, 1996, by Robert A. Hamilton, uh, the title of which is The Frogs and Spools of Wyndham Bridge. And he is referring to that uh, pretty odd bridge situation that we just described. The story, as it turns out, begins on June of 1754, when the residents of Wyndham were awakened by a bit of a tumult, a bit of a, uh, a hubbub in the night, um, and all of them rushed from their homes to see what all the fuss was about. Some of them were really freaked out, running around, screaming for their lives even. Some were even armed and firing their weapons into the, the night, uh, which seems really dangerous with those other people around. Ben, what's going on? Why were they freaking out like this? Well, they were freaking out because they thought it was yet a, another attack from either French or Native American forces, which was something very much in the cards in the 1750s. But it turned out when dawn came, they discovered the noise was not created by humans at all, but instead by bullfrogs fighting over the last dregs of water that were in this uh, pond that dried up over the droughts. So awkward, a little awkward. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not not exactly the the proudest moment, maybe. But Wyndham took it and ran with it because, sure, other towns in the area had their fun, you know, in pubs, making light of the uh, the people who were terrified of bullfrogs in Wyndham. But Wyndham did something really interesting. They doubled down. Mm-hmm. They didn't bury this story. They decided to lean into it. And they said, look, we're going to put the frog on the town seal. We're going to go all in on this frog thing. And that's been the case ever since. But if, if you look at the history, uh, they were not being necessarily alarmist. They weren't flying off the handle. If you were someone living in Wyndham in the decades leading up to this time, you would have freaked out too because you would have had some reasonable assumptions that people were coming to kill you, right? Absolutely. Not only people, but like just life, like the 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 elements, you know, the the nat- the gods perhaps. It seemed as though um this tiny tiny town population of only a thousand was um really kind of in some ways cursed, it would seem. In the summer of 1754, uh, this would have been considered a frontier town, but like you said, Ben, the French and Indian War um, had broken out in May of that year, uh, and that was really threatening these these homesteaders. And also, a drought was threatening the crops that they had worked so hard to cultivate. And Connecticut residents in general were living in a constant state of anxiety as this uh, French and Indian War kind of really stirred things up. You know, they were constantly living in fear of attacks, you know, from the tree line surrounding their homesteads. And, and really kind of that paranoia was certainly part of everyday life. But Wyndham had it even worse because they were threatened by a lot of natural phenomena as well that kind of doubled their anxiety and their sort of fear of uh, absolute annihilation. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're talking about the ever-present threat of disease Uh, drought. You know, these are agricultural communities, so people are at the mercy of the weather. And of course, uh, different contingents of people fighting in the French and Indian War uh, could easily overwhelm this small town. And there were so many rumors that were circulating in the area. The game of telephone was in full swing. You might not be able to prove that there were atrocities just up the way, but you couldn't prove that they weren't happening either. So this is a really fearful time, kind of like the residents of Mattoon from our Mad Gasser episode were also terrified about ongoing conflicts or the uh, horrors of war. And so all of this, all of this is happening. If you're the average resident of Wyndham, you are at least a couple times a day thinking, is this going to be the day that someone attacks our our little community. So it's not a surprise that in the dark of night, June 1754, they start hearing a ruckus and a rumble, louder and louder and louder. Who is it, they're thinking? Who is coming to kill us? Because this happens like really late, shortly after midnight. And at first, uh, people had no idea what it could be. And I think a lot of people had different guesses too. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. So according to the reports that we've read, uh, the first person to hear the noise was a servant of a local parson, which I believe just means like a preacher, right? Like in Frosty the Snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. Remember that? I think that means the preacher. Anyway, um, this guy's name was Pomp and he was the first to hear the noise when he was coming home around midnight after uh, hanging out with a, with a lady, lady friend of his at a nearby farmhouse. And he walked down the street um, when he neared the part of the uh, town called Wyndham Green, um, he began to hear this really bizarre noise that absolutely terrified him, and it was echoing. Yeah, uh huh. Oh no, 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 not cool, not cool. Blah, 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 blah. I would be freaked out too. The bullfrogs make really scary sounds, um, but it seemed to come from everywhere all at once. So this almost could have had the the feeling of some sort of like supernatural event too, especially in the the dark of night. Um, he ran home and awakened his master, Parson White. Uh, who then, you know, doubled down on what he heard as well and sounded the alarm, waking up everybody nearby who hadn't already been awakened by the sound and the screaming of, of the servant. And the noise continued to, you know, just kind of uh, increase at this fever pitch. And many folks thought that it was some sort of 
Native American chant of some sort, uh, a war cry perhaps, and that they were coming to descend upon them. They would all be dead by dawn. Yeah, this pomp and circumstance quickly got out of control. Uh, Other people said, no, this isn't a spell. Uh, These are the war whoops. These are actually the uh, war cries of oncoming Native American forces. And then other people said, no, no, I know a little bit about the Native populations. They're actually just yelling gin and rum. It's still bad because they're coming for us. Mm-hmm. And then some maybe more religious folks thought that what they were hearing, what appeared to sound like these cacophonous roars, were instead trumpets of the biblical judgment day. But one guy stepped in and said, hey, it can't really be the day of judgment because, you know, it's like just after midnight. It's not even dawn. Uh, some people thought that they could hear noises being called out in this pandemonium. Uh, especially two of the town's military leaders, Colonel Dyer and Elderkin. And luckily, unluckily for the town, Dyer and Elderkin were actually, you know, they were they were in the community at the time. So their children just crying, you know, where are my parents? There are men who are like grabbing all the weapons they can. There are women who are shrieking all the while. This mournful sound is creating a end of days kind of soundtrack. And then, you know, this army kind of gets together on the green and people have whatever they could grab, pitchforks, knives, old swords, a few had guns. Uh, And then this is when people started calling for Colonel Dyer and Elderkin to take charge, basically, right? That's exactly right. And John Adams had some things to say about one of these folks, this lawyer by the name of Eliphalet Dyer, who he referred to as long-winded and tedious but an honest, worthy man. Uh, And he was the leader of the town's militia. Then the militia sprung into action. Um, Then you had this guy, Jedediah Elderkin, who was another lawyer, presumably also long-winded and tedious, but uh, also hopefully honest and worthy. But we don't know that for a fact because John Adams did not opine on Jedediah Elderkin. I love that name, by the way, Jedediah. It's hard to say. A lot of D sounds in this dude's name. So he, along with Dyer, were apparently planning to colonize the Susquehanna Valley. Uh, By the way, uh, Jedediah Elderkin and Dyer had actually planned to extend their colony into the Susquehanna Valley, but the residents of Wyndham, who referred to themselves as Wyndhamites, which I love, decided this was a bad idea because they thought it would anger, uh, in their minds, the Native Americans that lived around this area. Missed opportunity to call themselves the wind hammers. The wind hammers, or the wind jammers, perhaps. We'll we'll work on that. Um, But it makes sense. They were already living in fear of these attacks. They didn't want to further upset the apple cart. So we're back to, you know, the night of the quote-unquote attack. Um, And these folks are understandably freaked out. They're hearing things. They're, they're, uh, you know, playing into the sounds that they're hearing. I mean, your ears can absolutely play tricks on you, especially when your mind is unsettled in such a way. So they're waiting around, hiding, you know, like you said, Ben, presumably arming themselves with uh, whatever they had around um, and waiting, you know, for what they believed was going to be a uh, painful death. And they were firing into the darkness throughout most of the night, those who had muskets. And they noticed that as dawn approached, the sounds began to die. They began to fade out. 
Uh, and then eventually, a group of brave, courageous men formed a scouting party, and they ventured out to uh, the place where the sound came from, as near as they could tell. And that's when they saw, not very far away at all, about 100 yards into the woods, a local pond that had almost dried up. And this is this is kind of a sad part. Across the bed of the dry pond, they found dozens and dozens of dead bullfrogs. The story grew. You'll hear some accounts say hundreds of dead bullfrogs, and then some more people say thousands. Uh, but anyway, it was a lot of frogs, and the scouting party realized it was these frogs fighting, you know, for the last bits of water in the pond that had generated this noise that scared everyone so. And interesting, uh, fun fact, the pond belonged to Dyer. And so what they realized was what the, I'm sticking with Windhammers, uh, what the Windhammers had heard were the, first the battle cries, and then later the death knells of these poor, thirsty bullfrogs. That was the whole, whole thing. And oh, the scouting party was just three guys. How did the townspeople take it when they heard about this? Well, let's just say they felt a little bit silly. I don't want to impart my own interpretations too much on them, but uh, there there is a sense of kind of humiliation, of of feeling as though they overreacted. Again, this is from from various reports. We've got some uh, journal entries, actually, we're going to read in just a second that'll give you a little bit more of a sense of how this was received. Uh, but um, they they weren't, some were angry, some decided to make light of the situation. That's probably what I would have done. And that's ultimately, it seems like the direction they chose to go as a uh, as a, a, a town. Yeah, some, you know, just were like, we're never going to talk about this again. Uh, and it didn't, you know, this town was so small, again, only a thousand residents. They didn't even have their own newspaper. But word of mouth is, is a thing in and of itself, um, especially around this time, you know, when that was one of the only ways for stories like this to spread in kind of a frontier mm-hmm. situation. Um, and the story did spread. And the wind hammies uh, became kind of a laughingstock. Yeah. It's something that people joked a lot about. And I remember, as we said, Elderkin and Dyer are both lawyers. So lawyers in particular in this region of the Northeast uh, start to harass their colleagues with this story. You know, like, hey, watch out, Dyer. Don't, don't worry, I checked. There aren't any frogs in there. Um, and people had a more healthy approach to, like, some folks just threw up their hands and laughed at it. We know that Reverend Stiles of Woodstock wrote about this to his nephew, who was a law student. And uh, just an excerpt of the letter here, he says, If the late tragical tidings of Windham deserve credit, as doubtless they do, it will then concern the gentlemen of your jurisprudian, which is a word I didn't know was a thing, order to be fortified against the dreadful croaks of Taurian legions, legions terrible as the very wreck of matter and the crash of worlds. Antiquity relates that the elephant fears the mouse. A hero trembles at the crowing of the cock. But pray, whence is it that the croaking of a buffalo should so belshazzarize a lawyer? Whoa! Belshazzarize? <laughs> Holy cow. I'm sorry, Ben. We're going to need to unpack this. We've got some new words here, some new terms. So if the late tragical tidings from Wyndham deserve credit, as doubtless they do, it will then concern the gentlemen of your Juris Prussian order 
to be fortified against the dreadful croaks of Taurian legions. Okay, so they're basically just mocking them and, and, and sort of acting as though frogs are some sort of terrifying force. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, they're, they're saying... Um, <laughs> it, it's funny because it, it, it's, it's like a fake warning to his nephew. Like, hey, you know, you're going to be a lawyer now, so get ready for frogs. Watch out for that. Yeah. I, I, I got Ben, I'm going to start trying to figure out how to incorporate Belshazzarize into regular conversation. And there's one more little snippet here at the bottom. Direful ye alarm made of these audacious, long-winded croakers. Things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme. What does the word Taurian mean here, Ben? Taurian terrors in chimeras dire. Obviously, that's a reference to dire, the lawyer and the militia leader. But what is, we've, we've heard Tauranian. Is that a reference to the frog's genus or something like that? It's an interesting question because it's weird because he, he spells it Taurian ah, yes. in the first paragraph and then Tauranian in the second. So maybe some of that is just his handwriting. I was always under the impression that Taurian meant things relating to the sign of Taurus. That's right. Yeah, I just Googled it and got the same. Don't see any froggy connections there at all. Uh, well, any etymological experts out there, uh, let us know what you think or if this is something that's come up before. Uh, I'm sorry, one last sentence here. Second time, Tauranian terrors in Chimera's dire. I hope, sir, from the direful, now that's the, that, now they're making fun of dire and making his name into an adjective, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, from the direful reports, from the frog pond, you'll gain some instruction as well as from the report of my Lord Cook. So he's like the fun uncle. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's what this letter is, yep. is meant to convey to his nephew. He's like, <laughs> frogs, lawyers, you're going to be one of those. Watch out, bro. Uh, but instead, he used uh, Belshazzarize, which it. I think we both love. Uh, hope you love it, too. And so as this, as this continues, we should mention the only fatalities that night were frogs, which is regrettable, but still nobody in the town was even injured, I believe. But, but not like due to stomping from townspeople. It was literally because they were thirsty, right? Or, or malnourished in some way. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's because they couldn't survive the drought. Uh, so as the years go on, and I think partially because nobody was seriously injured, future generations talk about uh, these jokes. They circulate in the area. And eventually, the Wintamites, the Windhammers, get kind of proud of this. You know, this is before H.P. Lovecraft. So the association of small New England towns with amphibians is still not seen as a sinister thing. Right. <laughs> Uh, and now it's like it's immortalized in not just letters, but a lot of uh, poems and songs from the times. Uh, and we we have a few here. We know that the story even went all the way across the pond to Europe and people were talking about. It. That's right. It really became. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, like good natured ribbing. Good natured ribbing. Yes, that for sure. I'm sorry, but bullfrogs croak. Bullfrogs do croak, and ribbiting would have been an easier sound to pick out, I think, in the night. Um, whereas, you know, a croak and a chorus, a cacophony of croaks, they kind of coalesce together into this, like, huge drone. A lot less, a lot more sinister rather than just a few errant ribbits, right? But it did kind of become sort of a pop cultural phenomenon, right? 
They were songs and poems that were, you know, committed to print and circulated uh, in the 19th century. One example in 1851 um, was the ballad uh, of the Bullfrog Fight, a ballad of the olden time. Um, And it starts off with a direful story, must I tell? Should I at length relate what once a luckless town befell in wooden nutmeg state? I guess that's a reference to Connecticut, Ben. I guess so, yeah. I always thought of it as the Constitution state, but maybe it's the wooden nutmeg maybe state. Maybe it's the wooden nutmeg state. So, yeah, you're, you're right. There were We know there were at least two other ballads that were written about what came to be called the Great Wyndham Frog Fight. There was an operetta, which I thought was awesome, called The Frogs of Old Wyndham from 1888. Uh, and then after the American Revolution occurred, the Wyndham Bank even started issuing banknotes with an image of a frog standing over the body of another frog. Of course, longtime listeners, you'll recall that uh, during this period in history, it was a lot easier for banks to just decide they were going to make their own banknotes, essentially coupons, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly right. But Noel, what about Wyndham today? Yeah, we sort of set the stage for that a little bit with their, you know, froggy regalia and uh, these giant sculptures atop of those pillars, uh, you know, on either side of that bridge. But the uh, what we would refer to as the Willimantic section of Wyndham um, became ultimately a factory town that made goods you know, like silk and cotton thread. And uh, it became quite a boomtown as the American Thread Company located its headquarters on the banks of the Willimantic River. Uh, And that became Connecticut's largest employer. Connecticut being a relatively small state and and, uh, this being a really incredibly small town, that's pretty cool. Um, So today you do have those 11-foot frogs on these giant spools of thread uh, that kind of combine the two things the town is most known for. Uh, and they actually, you know, are set up almost to look like, you know, froggy centurions guarding the Thread City Crossing uh, or this frog bridge. Yeah, and you can see pictures of these frog sculptures pretty easily online. I'm not going to lie, they weird me out just a little bit uh, because the frog's eyes are these large almost copper-esque looking spheres that are blank. And they've got some curly Q stylization on them. Uh, it, it looks like it looks kind of sci-fi, like from an alien civilization. But you can definitely go see these. And uh, if you want to see the site of the bloody bullfrog battle itself, you'll need to be a little bit careful because it's now privately owned. It's along a state highway. The town made a marker uh, indicating where the pond existed in the 1920s, but they moved it because underbrush was growing over it because now that sign is on the spot where all the village people gathered back in 1754, convinced it was the end of the world. Oh, and Noel, some of those frogs, there are sculptures around the town, even have names. There's Willie and Manny after Willimantic. Mm-hmm. Correct. We've got Swifty, presumably named after the fans of Taylor Swift. No, I'm kidding. It's actually uh, reportedly named after the Algonquin meaning of Willimantic uh, itself, which is land of the swift running water, which immediately makes me think of the scene in Wayne's World where Alice Cooper explains that Milwaukee comes from the, the Algonquin word Miliwake, which means the good land. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a frog parade in 2005 in Wyndham. Wait, with actual frogs? Well, actual fiberglass frogs. Ah. So actual frogs, asterisks. They were painted. It, it's similar to that uh, thing we have in Atlanta where different artists had painted these cow sculptures. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Sure, sure. Yeah, so they painted these frogs and they paraded them through the town and then they were displayed for a while before they were auctioned off for charity. So if you go to Wyndham today, which uh, seems to be a lovely place to visit, then you will see these various frogs laying around. But, Noel, Andrew, fellow ridiculous historians, if you spend some time in Wyndham, and you make friends with the locals and you chat them up, you might meet some history buffs who have a different theory about why those bullfrogs were screaming in the first place. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Aha, Ben, the twist in the story. Uh, Why were 
the frogs making so much noise. We know they were a little bit thirsty and they were trying to get to that last little bit of water in the pond, in that lowered pond. But what was going on that led to that? Susan Z. Herrick, an assistant professor in residence at the University of Connecticut's biology department, actually grew up in Wyndham and she has a theory about what incited that original incident with the frogs that caused all of that chaos. So the story, or the legend, I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a little more than a legend, but initially it claims that the frogs were fighting for this little bit of water remaining in that pond. But Herrick, who uh, herself is a, an expert in frog behavior, thinks that the, the frogs were actually getting it on. They were, they were making sweet love presumably in the, the, the last remaining splashes of that, uh, that lowered pond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The noises are what Herrick calls advertisement calls that tells other males about the male making the call. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like if you had a song and you were like, I'm in great shape, I'm young, this is my spot of the pond. Also, if you're listening, I'm single, ladies. Yep. So <laughs> my, my, mine would be more like, I've got a dad bod. I've got an okay job. I'm kind of a professional nerd. And I've got a little bit of water. Come on, ladies. Let's go. So the so imagine then these kinds of songs, uh, there being dozens and dozens of them at minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Being shouted over each other. Yeah. And... This could easily explain the situation, but Herrick has found uh, that, oddly enough, it, it looks like usually, instead of shouting over each other, neighboring frogs would take turns. One person would say their song, which I won't reveal on air, but, you know, uh, write to me. Uh, other species of frogs will just crowd together with a little less strategy. They'll figure out where females of their species may be, and they'll just all run up there shouting. And <laughs> Herrick has this awesome line. Um, I really appreciated this if you're listening, Susan Herrick. Uh, she said, it's like a singles bar scene yeah. in human society, but for frogs. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like we all know uh, how that usually turns out. <laughs> it makes me think of like the two dudes from um, Night at the Roxbury who are like both simultaneously trying to hit on the, uh, one woman and they end up just kind of banging against her repeatedly until she just freaks out and runs away. You know, that that seems like if I was inundated, you know, if I was a, a, a female frog uh, and I was being inundated by all these calls, I might just be like, yo, I'm, I don't think I want to do anything to do with any of y'all because you clearly have no restraint and um, it's kind of gross. So that's just my two cents there. And there's, Herrick follows this a little bit further because as she was researching, she learned that if things get particularly bad, some frogs will switch mating strategies that they, you know, their species ordinarily wouldn't use. Mm. So she believes that as the shoreline of this pond shrank, the males became increasingly desperate. They were losing their territory. Uh, their yards essentially were getting smaller and smaller. And then it was just too many dudes on the dance floor, too many males in too small a pond. They gave up on having any territory at all. They were just trying to find love. They weren't coordinating their calls, all of which leads Herrick to believe that's how this pandemonium occurred. They just started screaming desperately. And then uh, the noise became so loud 
that awoke the members of the village. I do have a theory about the noise, though, because when you think about it, in modern society, we're always surrounded with some kind of noise, especially if you live anywhere near other people. And the natural world is is pretty loud, too. But if you live in the forest for a while, you learn to recognize those sounds. So I'm wondering how loud this actually was. You know what I mean? Like how loud it would be in modern terms. Mm -hmm. Was it just the fact that they didn't have TVs on at night or podcasts? You know, Ben, I've got to say, though, and I think you've probably been in the situation, too, taking a nice stroll in the woods and you pass by like a patch uh, where there are clearly some frogs going nuts. And just a handful of them can raise quite a, a ruckus. So I would imagine, you know, under these conditions where they're really trying to compete for a lady's attention could get really out of hand, volume-wise, especially reverberating through, like, a town square, you know, where, where there's the pres presumably some sort of stone to reinforce the pond, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, may maybe not. Might have been more rudimentary than that. But, yeah, I could imagine it would get pretty out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's also a good point to be made about the, um, the weather at the time. Apparently, the muggy air also helped the croaks spread. But you're right. You make a good point. Desperation can drive these frogs to some pretty uh, superhuman croaks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like someone who is panicking when their kid is under a car and they're able to use that, what do you call it, hysterical strength to lift the car. Maybe these croaks, maybe these frogs were croaking as a life and death matter, which as we learned, it was. It was very much so. Uh, and I don't know. With that being said, this is cool. I, I love it when towns have something like this. Don't you? Don't you feel like if you go through a place like Helen, Georgia, don't you like that idea? Like, oh, we're back in a copy of Bavaria. I, 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 I do like it. And I want to know why. I assume initially that there's some real German heritage in, in a town like that. It turns out that in Helen, that's not the case at all. They did it almost exclusively for tourists attraction purposes. It's not like it has some sort of history of like German immigrants, unless I'm completely mistaken, but I could swear that I've, that I looked this up thinking that that was what was up and then realize, oh no, this is actually just like some developers that decided they wanted to, you know, make something attract, sort of like <laughs> south of the border. You know what I mean? That's literally what it is. Uh -huh. But despite this actually being a real part of the town's legacy, uh, one of the people behind that frog bridge that we talked about really did hope that these statues would stir up some kind of almost folkloric urban legends surrounding the town, right? A woman named Margaret P. Reich, who's the executive director of the Wyndham Regional Planning Agency. And one of the, uh, the chief like boosters behind this frog bridge idea she said that uh, someone came back from Serbia uh, with a travel guide that talked about these bridges featuring images of dragons and, and sculptures of dragons that are supposed to wag their tails when a virgin walks by. Uh, she said and was quoted uh, in the New York Times article, we'd like to create a similar urban legend, but with frogs and probably not involving virgins. Okay, but that's not how, that's not how urban legends work. Not really. <laughs> not, not quite so much. But I, I applaud the idea. Who doesn't love a good urban legend? So let's let's make a let's make our own urban legend right now. Let's say that if you are looking for love, just like those frogs of old, then what you want to do is go to Wyndham Green on a night in in summer, 
we'll make it vague. It can be summer. It can be either June or July, right? And then let's see, you know, let's say you, you have to ask one of the frogs for help, right? It could be Manny, Wendy, whomever. And then you mentioned this off air. Maybe, maybe there's a certain way you walk. Yeah, like well, what is it? What do you call it? Win- winter, winter shins. Winter shins. That's the one. Is that backwards? Doesn't that just mean like walking backwards? It's walking counterclockwise, counterclockwise. in a circle. Exactly. That's right. Uh, and then what happens? You you'll be blessed with uh, the, your your true love's desire. Yes, if you hear the croak. If you hear the croak. <laughs> You got to hear the croak. Um, but Ben, <laughs> I, I love that. And I think let's enter that into the lexicon of uh, urban legends. It, so so that's how these things start. Um, but one thing that's interesting and it ties back into another recent episode we did is the Wyndham Bank. It was chartered in 1832 uh, and was built in what is now known as Wyndham Center. Um, it was a little slow to develop. And as we know, a lot of these frontier banks did issue their own currency. We did an episode recently on the leper colonies that had their own currency. And then in the past, we had done uh, episodes on different kind of scripts that were issued that would lose their value completely if they were taken too far outside of their you know place of issue. So the banknotes that the Wyndham Bank issued, which are very rare and are actually unlisted, and you'll recall, Ben mentioned earlier, the Wyndham Bank and those banknotes, the script that they issued um, featuring a frog kind of lording over a, the dead body of another frog. Why Why that imagery, Ben? That's very, uh, that didn't quite, that's not quite the spirit of the frog fight. Post-revolutionary war. Yeah, I guess that's true. But there's actually a poem by the great Wyndham poet, uh, Reverend Theron Brown, that kind of exemplifies this whole frog, you know, phenomenon. Um, And it goes like this. I pause to nurse a quaint remembrance here. The bank and I were born the self-same year. The mind its notes between whose figures poked two frogs so lifelike that they almost croaked. The original greenbacks of the native race, that long-anticipated salmon chase, They blossomed like pond lilies from the mud. Memento of a war that shed no blood. And then everybody's like snapping their fingers. Oh my God. I love that though. Because at the end of the day, you know, (laughs) there's a lot more, a lot worse ways this could have gone. Nobody lost their lives. And ultimately the town of Wyndham went on to prosper. So there you go. Happy ending. Yes, yes. This also marks one more step in our journey to have an episode about every state in the United States. So thanks, as always, to our super producers, Casey and Andrew. Thanks also especially to our research associate, Gabe Luzier, who helped us hunt these frogs in Connecticut. Yes, indeed. And huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this very theme that you're hearing right now. Super producer Casey Pegram, guest producer, Andrew, Ahow, call me Ishmael, Howard. And uh, Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit, due to be here corporeally in the very near future. That's right. That's right. No spoilers, but everyone acts surprised. Also, big thanks to our own uh, croaker in the dark, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster. I always wonder if he listens to the end of these to, to know the nicknames that I am. 
him at the end. Uh, we should wrap it up before he shows up, though, for real. Indeed. Uh, if you want to check us out other places on the internet, you can find us. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram at Ridiculous History. You can find, you know, just Google that and all the things will come up. We do recommend that you join our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians, where you can get in on the conversation around each new episode and, you know, make some friends along the way. Because after all, it's about the friends we made along the way. Uh, we're working on getting an email. Uh, I don't know why this, what's going on with that. Uh, but apparently our old email, when we switched uh, to a new provider, somehow bit the dust. So uh, more on that soon. But in the meantime, uh, that Facebook group is the best place to get in touch with us. You can also find us individually on social medias. I am at How Now Noel Brown, pretty much exclusively on Instagram. I am at the frogking.blogspot.org. Um, if that doesn't work out for you, please find me at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N, on Instagram, where you can see any number of strange adventures I get into. Or come hang out with me on Twitter, where I am at Ben Bolin, H-S-W, and always looking forward to hearing uh, suggestions for new topics from you. Well, that's that's a ride, Noel. Uh, I've got, you know, my cacophonous noise for today is a leaf blower ah. as we record mid pandemic. Ah. So I, I think it's, I think it's time to call this one. I think so, buddy. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.